You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So this morning, we are going to skip ahead a little bit in Mark's gospel to the 12th chapter, the 28th verse. And the reason why we're doing that is because to, to make it all work and to have the right passages for the Easter season, it's what I needed to do. So give me a little bit of preacher's license here and let's go to chapter 12 together, okay? And today we want to talk about finding what's most important. Man, I tell you what, that is something that ought to get all of our attention here today Our ears ought to perk up because we know there are a lot of things that we are doing in life that are less than important. We want to make sure that we are doing what's most important, especially for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word together, we're going to look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Makes me think it might have been a Baptist church, but anyway, maybe not, right? And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right. Now, I think that's kind of funny. Someone telling Jesus, well, you're right. You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now notice this, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let's pray. Lord, as I look out at this great crowd, I pray that we will all hear you gladly. That our hearts will be opened up, not to the words of of a man, but to the word of God. And that, Lord, we will walk from this place changed forever. Thank you for your gospel, Lord. And I pray that you will help us to focus on your word and focus on what your spirit is doing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but it seems like it's getting harder and harder to just be, to meditate, to, to, to take life in and enjoy it. It seems like we're going so fast. The little bit of downtime we have in the modern world, it seems like the first thing we do is we pull out our phones and we read the news and we get all worked up about the coronavirus or whatever it is. I mean, it just doesn't take much and we're all stirred up again. Even when we're sitting in our chair, supposedly relaxing, we're putting more stress into our lives. That seems to be the modern predicament. And I think it's important for us to realize that God wants us to rest 
But to rest, what we have to do is kind of cut through all the chaos and focus on the things that matter most. I believe that one of the challenges we face today is that even though the human race has never been more connected to one another, it seems as though we are most disconnected now from our Creator. We have this ability to connect with people around the world. It's nothing now for me because we have so many friends around the world in gospel partnership. It's nothing for me to get on my phone and have a video chat with somebody on the other side of the world. That's a wonderful thing. But it seems like with all of those things happening, we are getting further and further away from our Creator. We're not spending as much time with Him, and we're certainly not resting in Him. And I believe that all of us today, we need to begin with this thought. We are running a race that we can never hope to win if we run that race apart from a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus. We need a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. And I'm saying this not just to those of you who are here today maybe searching and looking for the truth that is in Jesus as we believe, but many of us are professing believers. A long time ago we said that we believed in Jesus and yet we're still running uh, a race that doesn't seem to have a lot of purpose. And so what I want to do today is I want to challenge you to run the race with purpose. To make sure that every ounce of your energy is being poured out for the glory of the gospel. Now here in Mark chapter 12, what we see here are a number of things happening as it relates to questions being asked of Jesus. Really, that's what's going on here. It's a day of questions, as some have called it. That's what chapter 12 is talking about. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes are all bringing their questions to Jesus. Now some of these questions are said to Jesus in the form of kind of a gotcha kind of question. You know what I mean? Those, those questions where someone's not really trying to learn, but they're really just trying to trip you up or to cause some chaos in your life. Some of the questions in chapter 12 are like that. But thank God, one of the things that happens before the chapter ends is that we hear the most important question. One scribe, it seems, has the Spirit of God at work in him. And here's what my prayer is today, is that the Spirit of God is at work in this room. That He has been going after your heart for a long time. And it's brought you to this place today, just like this scribe, where the right question gets asked, and you hear from God's Word what the perfect answer is. What we need is a roadmap to what is ultimate. And I believe what, what, what I've read to you this morning helps us find that. That roadmap to what is ultimate. And I believe that's true if you don't know Jesus. And I believe that is true if you do know Jesus. Today we can really find some focus and some purpose in the name of Christ. So I hope you'll listen well. And the first point is this. Obviously listen well. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Now, I'm not talking about phones going off in the service, which they probably will. Don't be distracted. I'm not talking about those thoughts in your mind that have nothing to do with church. I'm talking about some other things here today, but all of that sort of fits. If you look at chapter 12, there's some questions about taxes, verses 13 through 17. Many of us right now have questions about taxes, all right? Not a bad question. Uh, They're asking Jesus, what about, you know, rendering unto Caesar? You remember that passage? We'll talk about that at another time. Also, we see in verses 18 through 27 questions about the resurrection. 
We're going to talk about those questions specifically on Easter, you might imagine. But those are, those are good questions. But here's what I want you to realize, that when we're trying to live our lives for Jesus, it seems like Christians today spend a lot of time asking questions and trying to answer questions that are controversial instead of conclusive. Controversial instead of conclusive. As a child, I can remember that in those days they had prophecy seminars. And you would go and you would hear a preacher explain to you for the first time in 2,000 years exactly what's going to happen in the end of time. Now, I, I don't know if you're into end times prophecies and eschatology. That's the fancy word for it. That's great. But one of the things I've learned over the years is if I were to preach about that every week, it, we would all have differences of opinion when we walked out, and we'd probably be more confused um, when we left than when we came in. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to look in the book of Revelation and go to the Old Testament and try to ferret out those things. But hear me, church, I believe that many times we get so lost in those controversial questions that we're not listening to the key questions of people's hearts today. Before we can talk eschatology, we need people to hear about Jesus who came and died on the cross for sins and rose again on the third day. The more I learn about the Bible, the more simple my preaching tends to become because I realize that the best thing that we can hear every Sunday in one form or another is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, don't be distracted by anything else. The devil loves it. When we are immersed in non-gospel questions, when we are immersed in non-gospel questions, we don't have time for the gospel. We don't have time for the gospel, and we don't want to make that mistake. The devil loves it when the church is focused on anything but the main thing. The devil loves it when we're chasing rabbits instead of focusing on the solid truths of the gospel. Now, those who are truly wise... Come to Jesus with the most important questions. And that's what we have here. I'll have you notice that there in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, um, they were disputing with one another. And I made that, that joke. I, listen, I, about Baptists not getting along, I've been blessed. I've always been in churches that, that got along, okay? But when I think about Christian history, and often I say this, when you read about Christian history, it's more about b- brothers and sisters not getting along than getting along. And it's these side questions that tend to be that which separates us. And what we need to realize is, is that disputing with one another is never healthy. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his exposition of Psalm 51. He says, the first call to man by God is to be honest, to stop arguing, and to face himself. We need to look in our own hearts We need to make sure that we're asking of our own hearts where we stand before God. Before we start worrying about where other people's hearts are, the true child of God began by a self-examination. Honesty with self. Stop arguing with other people. Stop trying to tell everybody how smart you are and realize that we are all sinners in need of gospel grace. That is the beginning, not only of salvation for your heart, but unity in the church. 
When we understand that we're not here to point fingers at the culture, we are here many times, we come to this place here at Ridgecrest to be honest about our sins and failures, asking God for mercy and forgiveness so that we can be the church we're called to be. Not a church crowing about how righteous we are, but a church that's willing to confess and admit that we have sinned and only by God's grace, only by God's grace are we what we are. Don't be distracted by anything else. Remember what Christ has done for you. We don't need to be disputing with one another. We need to be asking the key questions. The most important and vital question in this world is our relationship with God. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones again. So what's your relationship with God? So here we see in verse 28 also... um, This question, this most important of all question, you see it there in chapter 12. They're disputing and seeing that he answered them well, this scribe said, which commandment is the most important of all? Now notice how Jesus answers. Now a little bit of background here. This question doesn't actually come completely out of the blue. For a couple hundred years that I can see, um, at least a hundred years, the rabbis wanted to try to encapsulate the whole Old Testament in a sentence. It was something like a little bit of a contest. Who can tell the whole story of the Old Testament and sum it up in one sentence? And so the rabbis had various ways of doing that. The golden rule kind of developed from that kind of thinking, you know, just a basic statement that that speaks of God's love and our love for others. And so Jesus isn't reinventing the will here, but he really is expressing it in a way that had never been expressed before. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus first quotes from Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, which means hear. Shema, O Israel. That's how it begins in the Hebrew. And he begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is a summary of the Old Testament idea of who God is. We need to understand that that God is ultimate. He is everything. He is one. He is our strength. He is our source for every need. That's what Jesus is reminding us of. He is reminding us of the great need we have for a time like this to worship God, to sing a song about the great I am, to remind one another of how awesome and mighty and powerful He is. We need to constantly remember that. We are not coming to worship first and foremost to feel better about ourselves, but we are here to worship God. You were created to be a worshiper of God. And that's what Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following tells us. We are called to be worshipers of God. But here's where Jesus adds a little bit of a curveball. Because they knew that part, the Deuteronomy 6 part, but what Jesus adds in is Leviticus 19, 18. There in verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus combines, he 
puts into one. There are two commandments, but I think that they're two sides of the same coin. Yes, we are supposed to be a worshipful people, a people who understand God and want to enter into his presence. No doubt that's a big part of what we do and who we are. But also when that happens, when we have that mighty God of the universe in us, then we are empowered to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I am convinced that in this room are many good people. And you acting out in love and kindness to your neighbor is not something that's impossible for you to do in the flesh. Or it's not something that if you're not a believer here today, that you couldn't look back in your life and say, there have been times when I've been a good neighbor. But there is something special, there's something different going on when you love your neighbor as yourself. We're talking about here more than just a casual kind of love towards those outside, but a love that is deep as deep can be. The most important thing Jesus says is love God and love people. What we have here is a perfect synthesis of God-centered worship and human-oriented ministry. When we are worshiping God as we ought, We love the people that Jesus loved. And I want to tell you, I believe Jesus loves the whole world. And he gave gave his blood on the cross to save the whole world. And so when we are right, when we have all the cylinders firing for God, when we are not distracted by anything in this world, we not only have powerful worship, but we have a powerful witness. Worship and witness is what God wants us to have when we have focused on Him, that makes it possible. Christian faith is not too mystical. In other words, we don't believe that God is so far away that we can't really know Him. He has spoken and revealed who He is through His Word. Why do we preach the Word? Why do we dwell on the Word every Sunday and every Wednesday and every Bible study we do? Because that is the revelation of God. And the more we meditate on who God is, the more he transforms us into who we ought to be. And then we're able to witness to those who are yet to be saved. But I say yet because if we will preach the gospel with power, with power from on high, though they may not be saved right now, if we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we will let God move us as only God can, then we will see many thousands saved. I am praying for that. But the problem is, is that the church for many years has been too distracted. We chase all these rabbits. We're trying to click or check off all these boxes. And what we need to do is we need to get back to this simple truth of the gospel. Loving God and loving one another. It's powerful when we have focus. We are powerless when we've lost our focus Yes, I know that there are temptations in abstract theology. I I have a mind that wants to try to find answers. There's also a part of me that wants to go out and just help people. But what we have to do is find a synthesis where we are filling our hearts with good gospel truth and then we're acting out as a result of that. In other words, your witness has to be fueled by your worship. Those two things cannot be separated. Your witness is not going to be good if your worship is lacking. It's all connected. And it's, it's, it's simple, but this is such a profound thought. When we have love, 
we have the power to do all things in Christ. The apostles got this message. If you want to read later, Romans 13, 8 and 9. Galatians 5, 14 and 15. James 2, 8 through 13. In fact, let me read that one to you. If you have your Bibles, turn over real quick to James chapter 2. Listen to this. Won't read all of it down to 13, but if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you are doing well. And then he warns us about partiality, warns us about transgressions. But ultimately, friends, if we are not distracted, we will be loving God and loving our neighbors. Our second point is this. We must walk in truth with love. I made mention of it a moment ago when I was reading the text. But Jesus basically gives the answer. The scribe, the lawyer, likes the answer and says, good job. You answered correctly. Now, I made light of that, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't give him a hard time about this. I think that the scribe uh, was truly, truly touched by Jesus' answer. And you'll notice that when we're learning and when we're really growing, we will sometimes restate what we've heard in our own words. That's exactly what happens in verses 32 and 33. So we see a process here of Jesus preaching and teaching truth and another person here hearing that truth and trying to digest that. So what we have here, I think, is a really interesting model of how witnessing works. And if you'll look there in verses 32 and 33, he repeats it in this way. He says, And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbors as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now here's what's beautiful. The man not only quotes Jesus back, but the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, He will help you connect the dots. And here we have an example of God's spirit working in a heart where where the man adds that little bit is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is a quote from 1 Samuel 15, 22. And let me tell you how important this is. A scribe would have been a very religious person. Would have been a person who would have not only uh, participated in sacrifices, but would have been the one you, re- you referenced, the kind of person you would reference to know how much of a sacrifice you offered for every particular sin that you had in your life. This was the guy who would, would give you that kind of legal, spiritual legal advice as it relates to the sacrifice. So sacrifices would have been very important. But as God's grace begins to work on his heart, this scribe realizes that religious actions don't necessarily mean a changed heart. Only God can convince you this morning that your religious activity is not what leads you to salvation. Religious activity is what flows from a heart changed by Jesus. And only the Holy Spirit can teach you that. Every other religion says, I do good, I do good, I do good, I sacrifice, I give, and then God says, you're good enough. Christianity, on the other hand, says all of those things are vain until Jesus forgives me of my sins. That's the difference. And when we get that, that's when we begin to really understand God's love and his sacrifice on the cross. Sacrifice on our part, apart from God's love, is of no eternal value. 
One commentator, James Edwards, puts it this way. All religious expression is meaningless apart from expressions of love. God's word says this. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. And every moment that we are not loving well is a moment that we are out of sync with God. So hear me. It is not enough to just know the truth. It's not enough to just be able to quote the scripture as the scribe does. But as he quotes the scripture, he begins to see that God is at work in his heart, changing his heart, causing him to depend by faith in Jesus. Church, we want to be a church that is obedient to the word of God. We want to live lives of holiness. But we are only able to live lives of obedience and holiness when the love of God has gripped us. But if the love of God has gripped us, where's the love? See, that's the question. Where's that love flowing from your life? If you're lacking in love, that brings us to our last point. The only thing that we can do is receive Christ as Lord. If you look there in verse 34, the scribe is told by Jesus that he answered wisely. The scribe is told that he is not far from the kingdom of God. I wonder how many in this room know enough gospel that it can be said that you're not far from the kingdom of God. That you have the knowledge. You know the gospel story. You believe that Jesus died on the cross. That he was buried and that he rose again. You know that that is something that you are open to in terms of belief. But friends, it's not just about what you've received in your mind. There's this 18-inch journey, they say, between here and here. Where we make that mental uh, confession, but from the heart... We believe. Church, we need people who don't just have the right theology. That's so important. But we need people who have been completely transformed by the grace of Jesus. We need people who understand that they were once dead in their sins and trespasses, but have now been made alive in Christ. We were once dead and now alive. That is a miracle. Somebody told me this morning that the Sunday school lesson was on miracles. I want to tell you the greatest miracle of all is that there may be someone in this room right now who is dead spiritually, but all of a sudden, it's kind of like those, those paddles at the ER. Boom, boom. Electricity is flowing into your, your spiritual body, and you're starting to hear and believe. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and receive Jesus as your Savior. Now, the reason I say that this passage really points in this direction is that Jesus, for some reason, decides in verse 35 to to bring out an ambiguity from the Old Testament. And he goes back and he says, hey, what do you do with this passage where David himself in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, declares, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Now, let me tell you what Jesus is doing there. Remember, it's been a day of questions. Everybody's got their clever questions, and Jesus has a clever question of his own. And he says, do you believe in God? 
Do you believe that God works in mysterious ways? Do you believe, what he's saying here, is that I'm not only the son of David in terms of physical descent, but I am the Messiah of God, and that's a spiritual thing. You see, it's not just about knowing the Davidic history. It's not just enough about being able to quote from the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, do you believe in your heart that the Messiah has come? Do you believe that he is the one who changes lives now and forevermore? That's what God is asking. That's what I mean by that 18-inch journey from here to here. It takes faith. It means believing in Jesus and trusting in him and here today receiving the gospel. The scribe had to come to terms That Jesus was different than anybody else that's ever lived. And friend, you can't just have a Jesus who's a good teacher, a good philosopher. You need a Jesus who defeats your ultimate enemies. Sin, death, and hell. We need a mighty Jesus. We don't need just a teacher behind a podium. We need a Savior on a tree. We don't just need something clever. We need the cross. We don't need a little reform. We need resurrection life. God needs to shake us up. He needs to change us. I'm convinced. The more I read the Bible that I am a radical. Because I believe in the virgin birth. Amen? I believe in the resurrection of Christ. Amen? That's radical. But it's true. Receive this truth. There is no better truth. I'm telling you, when you saw that baptism this morning, what you saw was the power of God. What you saw was how God takes us and saves us and changes us and moves us. That's all of our testimony in Jesus. All of us have that testimony. When Jesus speaks, brothers and sisters, we need to hear him gladly. Hear me out. Oh, man. They say I got two minutes and 38 seconds, but. They put me on an egg timer, but I'm going to get it all scrambled here. All right. So I believe with all my heart that the greatest joy in the world is in Jesus. And if there is sadness, if there is solemnity, If there is darkness from your past, I'm here to tell you, I believe that Jesus can change you and transform you. And you need to quit asking all the questions about, well, I don't know if I can do this, and I don't know how I can live like that. Listen, if you will give your heart to Jesus, he will show you the way. He will help you. He will hold you close. He will get you to where you need to go, but you have to surrender this morning to Jesus. Give it all to him today. The ultimate questions. Friends, I'm going to tell you moving forward, the ultimate questions are what we're going to focus on here at Ridgecrest. I want to keep this army of God, and I believe that's what you are. You are the army of God. I want to keep you focused on the main thing. We have an enemy who wants to hurt us. I know he wants to rob us of the things that we love the most in this world. He wants to take our children away and and send them to a devil's hell. But I'm going to tell you, if we will focus on Christ, if we will believe in the power of God, we will win this generation to Jesus. 
And God has brought us here at Ridgecrest for such a time as this. I'm tired of weak toast, uh, milk toast, weak Christianity. I am tired of us making excuses for not progressing. I want us to be the church on the march. The time has come. And you're the one. And I'm the one that's going to have to receive the power of Christ to make this possible. The apostles didn't have much to present to the world, but they had Jesus. And they presented that, and they changed the world. And we can do the same. What's most important? Let me give you these three things, just summing up what we've talked about here today. What's most important, Ridgecrest? First, we need a life dominated by the gospel. We need lives that are gospel-dominated. I mean, the gospel is your devotional. It is your evangelism. It is everything. We need lives dominated by the gospel. Secondly, we need a life that touches others with love. The gospel is a beautiful thing. But we need to touch people with love. You may be the most obedient person in this world, but if you're not connecting with others in love... You need to be in this altar. If, if, if God hasn't been using you to bring hope and joy into someone else's life, there's something missing. Let God show you that. I can't show you that, but God can show you that. And finally, God needs to, to touch us so that we have a change of heart and not just a change of mind. I don't want to try to argue you into heaven. I can't do that. But what I can do is say this. Believe in Jesus with all your heart, and He will save you. The ultimate questions, the ultimate question that Jesus covers here today points us in the direction that we need to go. And today, will you not just ask the right question, but will you receive this one and only Savior? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.